Listener Production. Hey, Barbie. Yeah. Can I come to your house tonight? Sure. I don't have anything big planned, just a giant blowout party with all the Barbies and planned choreography and a bespoke song. You should stop by. So cool. Hello and welcome to The Briefing. It is Katrina Flowers and Tom Tilly here with you. Uh, Tom, I don't know if it's just my social media feed, but it feels like it's gone pink this week. <laughs> the Barbie movie is absolutely everywhere. <laughs> is this something that you're excited for? Um, look, kind of, yeah. I've, I've seen a lot of hype online about this as well. And um, I've also sort of heard little bits about the movie itself, that it's a... It's basically, you know, Barbie world is a world where girls run the world. So is there a deeper meaning to the whole thing? Well, it's so interesting because that scene, uh, it's revealed and, and, you know, we're not going to give too much away here. We're not going to spoil anything for anyone who hasn't seen it, but that's revealed to just be a microcosm and the real Mm. world's not really like that. So, um, yeah, there definitely is a deeper meaning at play. All right, well, look forward to getting into that. First, here are today's headlines. It is Thursday, the 20th of July. Commonwealth Games authorities remain locked in negotiations with the Victorian government after the state's decision to scrap the event. They're reportedly pursuing hundreds of millions of dollars in compensation, with some experts estimating the break costs could be up to $2 billion. Meanwhile, a report from 2019 has surfaced, revealing the Victorian government was warned a regional games could have major cost risks and operational problems. The 30-page report was co-funded by the the Andrews government and regional councils. This is diabolical and mm. a huge mess. Yeah, so if you think about it, if these break costs are really expensive, let's say they're a billion dollars, plus we've got Dan Andrews still saying he's going to invest two billion anyway, then Victorians have spent three billion dollars, but no games. Just the embarrassment and the downside of cancelling late. Yeah, but they are getting regional infrastructure, which I guess, you know, depending, I mean, the voters will show whether or not that's what they wanted. Um, I've been covering this story all week for the Seven Network and um, Queensland keeps popping up as a possible Mm. um, saviour for the Commonwealth Games. The Queensland government has continuously said no. It's really interesting. Our Gold Coast Mayor is currently away in London on leave and uh, we received a a very well-placed tip-off that it could become a permanent home, the Gold Coast, and sharing that with Birmingham. So that could be an option that's on the table is splitting it between those two host cities. Um, Yeah, the Gold Coast actually was rare in that it it apparently did do very well for the city and produced a lot of tourism revenue and really put the Gold Coast on the map. Well, that makes a lot of sense because they're struggling to find other countries that will host it. It clearly needs some kind of shake-up and yeah, I mean, that sounds like a reasonable idea and Wow, maybe just coincidentally the mayor happens to be in London at the the right time. (laughs) And major changes are coming to our university sector. Young people from the suburbs, young people from regional Australia, young Indigenous people, we need to set up a system that's sustainable for the long term that helps all young people get a crack at university. So that's the Education Minister, Jason Clare. He gave a big speech yesterday. Um, there were 
several recommendations um, that have come out of an interim report, including dropping the 50% rule, which cuts student funding if they failed more than half of their subjects. So I guess, you know, not being as tough on those kids who are struggling at uni. Um, They're also looking at First Nations students getting more Commonwealth support and also um, targeting debt write-offs. So Doctors, for example, can um, have some of their student debts written off if they do a stint in regional areas. This could be now expanded to nurses and teachers. I think that's such an awesome idea. I mean, we need more nurses and teachers in rural and remote areas anyway. So if that came with an added incentive, um, go for it. We're not going to know, though, until the end of the year whether any of these recommendations will be adopted. Um, This is just an interim report. The full report comes out in December. So that's when some of those changes might be made. And a dingo has been euthanised on Gari, uh, Fraser Island, following an attack on a woman earlier this week. The high-risk animal has become the second dingo to be euthanised by Queensland Rangers in two months. It was killed yesterday. Um, It was one of a pack of several dingoes that mauled this 23-year-old woman who had to be airlifted to hospital. She suffered multiple bite wounds on her limbs and torso after being chased by the dingoes into the water whilst having a jog. Um, She was only saved by um, some guys that got out of their four-wheel drive and started punching the dingo. Yeah, this has been a huge topic in Queensland this week, as you can imagine, because it's Mm. such a tourism hotspot. It is the most beautiful, beautiful place. So people are saying, what do we do from here? Do we cap visitor numbers? Because visitor numbers have really exploded, especially since the pandemic. Uh, A lot of tourists are doing just dumb things like hand feeding the dingoes. Mm. So then they become accustomed to humans and they lose their fear of humans. Um, Taking selfies with the dingoes. So, you know, I think we as humans need to take some of the responsibility for this. Um, This dingo that was euthanised weighed in at 17 kilos, which rangers say suggests that the dingo had been fed human food. And tough times for Splendour in the Grass. So ticket sales to the big festival are down 30% on last year. They're at 35,000 as opposed to 50,000. Um, they've made changes after some of the problems they had last year around traffic flow. There also hasn't been as much rain. Um, they had to cancel the first day last year. You might remember there was just so much mud and water on the site. So they've solved some of those problems, but people just aren't buying tickets. Um, they had the headliner, Lewis Capaldi, pull out, and there are overall questions about the lineup. But Katrina, the whole music industry is just really struggling at the moment. This is a sign of what's going on in the broader industry. Yeah, people are saying that, people in the industry are saying that um, a lot of young people in particular, they just aren't buying tickets until really, really late, like just Mm. before the event is on. So um, they're not forward planning and that means that it's just putting these festivals in doubt of even going ahead. Um, While Lewis Capaldi has pulled out though, worth pointing out, Lizzo is still showing up. She's pretty epic. I've seen some videos of her performing on my Instagram just recently of people going to her gigs. So that will be pretty cool. Um, also worth pointing out, we are not in a La Nina anymore. <laughs> so mm. it won't be splendor in the mud again, hopefully. Yeah, look, I just think it's a really sad situation that artists are having, when they tour at the moment, they're having to play smaller venues than they used to um, before the pandemic as a result of this sort of changing trend and habit of people buying tickets. And 
these are some of the people that did it the toughest during the pandemic. And here we are, yeah. and it just still hasn't bounced back. So these festival and event organisers, plus the artists and all the people working in the industry around them, it's, it's a sad story. I guess we've just all got to think, you know, if we want these music festivals to keep going ahead and if we want live music to still be a thing, we're just all going to have to pull our finger out and actually get organised and buy tickets and make sure that this industry remains financially healthy. All right, Tom, I know that you are dying for the briefing topic on this one. <laughs> maybe maybe this could be your weekend plan. Go and see the Barbie movie. Um, I'm going to be diving into this briefing topic to see if it is worth the hype and what some of the deeper messages are of this film. You'd almost have to be hiding under a rock to escape all the Barbie hype lately. It has been a lot. And you know, at first, when I first heard about this movie, I was probably a little bit eye-rolly about the whole thing. I wasn't really that into Barbies as a little girl, full confession. But when I saw it was Margot Robbie and Ryan Gosling doing Barbie in a tongue-in-cheek kind of different way... Well, that got me interested. And then when I saw it was directed by Greta Gerwig, who has also directed Little Women and Lady Bird, I was even more interested. So is it worth your money? Should you go and see it? I was lucky enough to go to the Brisbane premiere on Monday night and Justin Hill, who's the host of Listeners, the streaming service, went to the Sydney premiere and he joins us on The Briefing to talk all things Barbie now. All right, we've both seen it. I know what I think of it, but I'm dying to hear what you think of the Barbie movie. Oh, do you know what? People have been asking me. I, I feel like my phone was blowing up and I wasn't even out of the premiere. And people were like, <laughs> what's that like? It is so camp and silly and fun, but with a big heart is how I would describe it to people. And I think the biggest question that came out of this is, what is the movie about? Like, and I feel like it definitely answers that. And I feel like I'm stealing your question coming up, but it definitely answers that. And I feel like I walked out of it just feeling very good, like I'd been given a big hug and that it was, you know, I kind of feel like it's the film that the world needs right now, that it's not too crazy or complicated, but it's a laugh and just a really great time. Yeah, it definitely had so many laughs in it. I thought that the humour was really similar to Blades of Glory, like that kind of yes. ridiculous, but as you say, very camp and silly, but wacky humour. Totally. And Thor Love and Thunder, um, you know, Thor Ragnarok, like probably not as silly as Thor Love and Thunder because that one got a little bit too crazy with Taika Waititi just like taking a lot of licence there. But like, I feel like, yes, exactly. Blades of Glory, like all of those things where you just, it was a like a consistent giggle all the way through and then it was like getting you in the feels when right when you weren't expecting it I think it was definitely a movie that celebrated femininity and girl power but I felt like Ryan Gosling really stole the show. He did. That's exactly what I said. That's so funny you had that observation because I walked out of it and I was like, I knew Ryan Gosling was going to be amazing. I was very lucky to see the first 20 minutes before I uh, spoke with Margot Robbie when she was in Australia. And even from that 20 minutes, I was like, I feel like Ryan Gosling's going to steal the show here. And he genuinely is so, so good. And it's even better when you go and watch it and you 
know that he did this for his daughters, like he did it for them. And you can tell he's like, dad's been silly and he's going to have a bit, you know, it kind of feels like you're watching a dad with his daughters when he just lets down his guard and he doesn't worry about being a macho man anymore. He just really embraces having a, a fun, silly time with his kids. Let's talk about Ryan Gosling slash Ken's abs for a second. What do you know <laughs> about what training he did in the lead up to this movie? Look, I mean, the man is literally a walking Ken doll. Like it wouldn't have been too hard for him to get into shape. There was some really nasty criticisms about him playing Ken with a lot of people saying he was too old. But I'm like, I like what is age? I mean, I feel like he really expresses a young spirit in this film and he looks incredible. I mean, the the spray tan and the makeup and I'm sure that there are a few little painted on abs here and there were great. The man's done the work. Like, he looks fantastic. You can just tell. For those shirtless scenes, he was, like, on the chicken and the protein for, like, a week before those. You can absolutely tell. Like, 10 out of 10 in my book. It was so interesting that for a persona, let's call Barbie a persona for a second, who has um, copped her fair share of criticism for being an unattainable stereotype for women, this movie really set out to flip that narrative on its head, didn't it? It really did. And here's the thing about this film and what I probably like the most is it's so self-aware. And I think in particular, Australians are going to find this very funny because we love to make fun of ourselves and that is our humour. And if you're an Australian who's travelled overseas, that doesn't always translate. People are always like, oh my God, like, like, why are you saying that? What, like, what are those jokes? Our sense of humour is evident that, you know, it's had an influence by Margot Robbie. And so it feels very self-aware. It um, it makes fun of the fact that Barbie has been criticised. It acknowledges it and it says, you know, and it kind of like, without giving anything away, it really even addresses a few things that made me go, oh, wow, Mattel actually let them say that. Like there's a, a line that the president says towards the very end. And I don't know if you remember, and it's just like, it made the whole cinema just squeal as she walks down the stairs and says it. It's just so funny. I definitely feel like Margot convinced Mattel to let them do these things with the result of us enjoying it more. And I definitely think that that paid off for sure. I really do think that Barbie nailed the diversity and representation angle when it came to different sizes and shapes of all the women. They even had a, a pregnant Barbie. Um, who, Midge. Who, you know, we don't talk about her. Ongoing gag. <laughs> <laughs> However, what I will say, and I wonder how this is going to play out, is it was a very gendered movie. What did you make of that? Yeah, I, I think that... I was talking to some people about this before and I was trying to sort of think who they were aiming this movie at. And the thing is, I feel like you think Barbie movie and you just, men don't even come into the equation. I mean, someone would just go, this is a film for young female kids. And I think what they've really cleverly done is it's not that at all. This film is targeted at, I think, parents. I wouldn't even say mums. I would say parents who maybe played with Barbies and Kens when they were little and they've got kids who are playing with them now and it's definitely targeted at them. And so I think that's very clever when you talk about it being a gendered film is where like I feel like they actually got more of a balance than what I was expecting. So I was expecting it to be like super hyper female and 
I was happy to see that, but then I definitely felt like we we got some representation from everyone else as well without it being too like, oh, we've got to make this balanced. Like, you know, I wanted to see the strong female leads and I wanted to see the powerful characters and, you know, the nice mother-daughter story and um, I didn't have a problem with that at all. So I feel like even though on paper it may not look like perfectly evenly balanced, it's a, it actually is because it's what you wanted to see in the film and it just worked beautifully for the story, I think. Now, you've been a big part of the the press call and, and the hype mm-hmm. in the lead up to the release of this film. Normally, when the stars come to Australia and there's such a big marketing spend in the lead up to a film, it, it usually means it's a complete turkey. Yeah. <laughs> but in this case, not so much. Talk to us about the marketing strategy, the spend, the things that probably you've never seen before, before a film. I agree with you. Like when you start seeing a lot of money being spent on advertising, uh, you do get a little bit concerned. But the advertising in those instances is you've got to see this film and they're ramming it down our throats. And so, you know, every billboard you see, every ad you see, every like, you know, it's on your phone. It's like it's everywhere you can see. But the difference with this and why I wasn't worried about Barbie is because they did collaborations. And I really honestly, truly feel like that that's how it needs to be done moving forward. And like Warner Brothers will be using this as an example, like as a, as a case study for years to come because what they did was they had a marketing spend, they did the press trip, they had the talent out, but then there were little things. There was like Margot treating her trip like she was on the Barbie press tour. Like, you know, even when she was off the clock, she was dressed in the most fantastic Barbie core outfits that really like tied back to the film. She made sure when she walked out, you know, in the airport that she was smiling and waving and having fun. And genuinely, like if you didn't know, you would think it was the Barbie press tour, like in the fact that in real life. But then you've got things like they did Glasshouse candles, they did Airbnb, they did OPI nail polish, they like there were just so many Crocs even did Barbie Crocs. And I feel like there's been so much hype around this film. I have never had so many people ask to be my plus one to a premiere. I don't know about you, but like I couldn't like people <laughs> were just continually DMing me and asking me if they if I could get them tickets or if they could come with me. So I feel like what they did is they cleverly leveraged off the fact that there was so much interest around this brand because there was so much talk about it. You know, people who'd maybe seen bits and pieces were speaking very positively of it. And it's a brand that everyone knows and loves. It hasn't been lately, hasn't been over oversaturated. So, you know, in the past, maybe yes, but not recently. So I think, I think all those brands were excited to get on board and they did the advertising for them. It's just wild. So Margot Robbie wasn't the initial choice, which we've famously learned um, for this role, but Mm. not only did she nail it, she also had a producer's credit on this and the ending, which we're not going to give away, it did uh, open the way for a sequel. Mm -hmm. Should they go there, do you think? Absolutely. I feel like there's been so much positivity about this film in the lead up to and and then I feel like when people see it, when it comes out on the 20th, I feel like it's going to deliver on all of the things. Because like I said before, the biggest question around this film is what is it about? As I was coming here today, I was like, what was it about? And I was like, well, it was fun and it was, you know, like I said, it was camp and it was silly, but you know, it's a mother-daughter story. It's a um, it's a nod to, to the heritage of Barbie and the tradition, but in a funny kind of way. But this was my take on it and not to get too deep 
but I feel like it was it was almost like a study of emotions because you've got a situation where you have a doll who doesn't have any emotions, who has a bit of an existential crisis, and then she discovers what it's like to have those emotions. You've got Ken going through his own little crisis. You've got you know, the the humans in the film that are dealing with their issues. And I honestly feel like it kind of made me go, yeah, like, you know, I, like it's, it's interesting how those things make you feel. And I'm not talking about happy or sad or boring things like that. I'm talking about, not boring, but usual things like that. But I am talking about like empathy and frustration and how difficult it can be sometimes to be a boss lady. And that's probably what I loved the most was that it was, it really delivered and I, I very clearly walked out of it understanding what it was about even though it was so silly. So I feel like it definitely uh, set us up for a sequel but what I would love to see is a Ken spin-off. I just think there's so much to his story and so much that we could explore and the comedy, like just like you said before, Ryan's timing is just so great and he's so funny that we could, I mean, we could see sequels for days with this. You could see, you know, Kate McKinnon as like Weird Barbie. There's just so many great characters that have been built and they've done a great job to reflect that in the real world that I think any of those would be great for a sequel. Well, I think a lot of people who aren't even into Barbie are going to go along to this, probably be dragged along to this, let's face (laughs) it, and end up really enjoying it. I was telling Tom Tilly all about it this morning and he said to me, you know what, I would never have gone to go and see this Barbie film, but now I'm really curious. So I think this is going to catapult Margot Robbie into a completely new stratosphere. She could end up being Australia's most successful film export ever. Margot is probably a bigger star than what people realise. She is universally loved. She's a funny Aussie girl. You know, she hasn't lost her her sense of humour or who she is. And I agree. I think she's huge now and I think this will just catapult her into a new stratosphere that's going to probably see her get some very lucrative deals in Hollywood as well, not just as an actor but also as a producer and director maybe. And that was Justin Hill, who's the host of Listeners, the streaming service and the Barbie movie is out in cinemas now. Listener.